From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So today's an administrative law episode, but before you go and change that dial, are there dials in podcasting? Keep in mind that this is an administrative law issue that could put obstacles in the way of the IRS issuing new rules. So let's get into it. A central question here is whether the IRS's policymaking should go through formal procedures that apply to all federal agencies, or whether the IRS's work is, for lack of a better word, exceptional. Based on some recent court rulings, it's looking a whole lot like the former and not the latter. Early this month, an appeals court struck down a tax reporting requirement in a case called Man Construction. That came after a Supreme Court ruling last year in a case called CIC Services allowed a lawsuit against the IRS to go forward. Then, just this week, a lower court ruled on that CIC Services case, and as one of our guests today calls it, it was a smackdown. We've got two voices today to help analyze what's going on. In a bit, you'll hear from Kristen Hickman, a law professor at the University of Minnesota. But first, we go to Melissa Wiley, a member of the firm Kaplan and Drysdale and a tax law specialist. Wiley spoke to Bloomberg tax reporter Jeff Leon, and she says she expected the IRS to lose in this week's ruling, but not by this much. I think, you know, if you had polled um, a bunch of random tax lawyers earlier this week about what might happen in CIC services, everyone would have told you roughly the same thing, which is that particularly after the Sixth Circuit opinion and man, um, those taxpayers were going to win. I think what we probably didn't expect was the extent of um, what I've been referring to as the smackdown of the IRS in the opinion that was issued by the district court. You know, in addition to adopting um, the the analysis from man construction, you know, the, the district court said, yeah, we're going to adopt that. We're not even going to talk about it. We're just going to incorporate it by referring to man. And then we're going to move on and we're going to talk about how we think that it gets struck down on a second ground, which is that the IRS's decision making was arbitrary and capricious. You know, kudos to the the council and CIC services for advancing both of those arguments because the court clearly felt they needed to address both of them. It's 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 something reading over that opinion, especially them saying like it's arbitrary and capricious, and especially them providing saying like, hey, the IRS didn't give reason. Um, it seems like it's just a really strong rebook to the uh, IRS. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder um, in part. <laughs> And I'm sure somebody will dig this up at some point if, if they haven't already. But what exactly was produced by the IRS in response to the requests for the decision making? Because um, I, I would go out on a limb and say that there are probably fairly significant files within the IRS that talk about how these transactions could be used um, as, as an abuse. To me, they're giving a lot of reasons, but what I see the court saying is, is I don't see anything to back those statements up, IRS. You can make those statements, but I don't see anything in your file to back them up. So, you know, from this ruling, where can the IRS go from here? Yeah, so, um, you know, if I'm the IRS, I'm certainly appealing CIC services, if for no other reason than to stop, to try to get a stay on the remedies that were awarded. If I'm the IRS, I'm like, I, I don't want that sitting out there. I want that um, at minimum stayed and I want another court to look at it. You know, that that also goes back to, to what we were just talking about where, where the district court went that extra step on arbitrary and capricious. If I'm the IRS, I probably want another court to take a look at that as well. 
um, and and hopefully look at the remedies and and at least pull back some of them. So you know, if I were a betting sort, I would certainly bet that the IRS would appeal CIC services. Um, you know what they decide to do with man construction now is sort of interesting because you can appeal CIC services to the Sixth Circuit. You've got a almost hundred percent chance that at least that first part of the analysis is going to be upheld on on the failure to comply with notice and comment rulemaking. Um, maybe, you know, your calculus with respect to what do I do with man? Do I try to petition for cert um, so that I can I can at least maybe argue that that should be stayed? You know, maybe that becomes more pressing now, given given this most recent opinion in CIC services. Kind of looking in the long term, I mean, uh, do you see these kind of two rulings making like maybe bigger changes for the IRS? Maybe they're um, maybe they're going to take more time to make sure everything is airtight before they actually put something out. Yeah, look, if if I'm the IRS, I think they would be absolutely foolish not to immediately try to rehab their listed transactions and their transactions of interest. You know, but put some proposed regs out tomorrow. Um, that lists everything that they still want to go after um, and start shoring up your reasons for it and start shoring up your administrative record. You know, I don't feel bad about that result. If what this causes the IRS to do is to take a second look at everything it has identified and really double down on it and really take the time to understand these transactions. You know, if you talk to tax practitioners, the thing that has caused all of us to pull our hair out for the last several years has been the fact that there seems to be just this really indiscriminate big hammer going around and anything that maybe fits into a description of uh, a listed transaction or a transaction of interest, the IRS is just not being nuanced in their analysis. And if what these line of cases does, if they do nothing else but to force the IRS to be more nuanced, to be more thoughtful, to really think about what makes a bad transaction and what makes a good one, I think that's a huge taxpayer win. And, you know, Melissa, I mean, like, kind of just looking at the, the trajectory of this case over the past um, past several years, um, you know, going through the Supreme Court, coming back, um, coming back to the district court and whatnot. Any thoughts on this saga? Because um, <laughs> it most definitely has been a saga. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking a little bit about this this morning because um, that's what tax lawyers do when they're in the shower. Um, you know, the whole CIC services saga took five years, a little over five years to get to this point where we have a district court decision. I feel very confident this is going to be appealed. So this is going to drag out again, getting on to six years. I think we're all very, very grateful for the patience and the fortitude of CIC services and, and their attorneys, because otherwise none of this would have happened. I mean, we we really would be without um, without this guidance. And I think as we look forward, this is going to continue to be an issue that any, any complaint filed in any tax litigation is going to contain some aspect of an administrative law challenge. And you know, you don't have to think back too far to see see something similar that happened when we started seeing cases uh, with penalties getting kicked out because they weren't approved properly. Now, every complaint with penalties alleges that, because why not? 
Um, and I think you're going to start to see that now too, where anytime you've got some tax litigation filed, if there's a colorable administrative law claim, a colorable APA claim, why not throw it in? We've got this precedent. And so, um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm really grateful for the CIC services um, folks. And, and like I said, their patience and their fortitude and just waiting this out and pursuing it at every level. You know, I I was definitely one of the naysayers back when the Supreme Court issued their opinion saying, why would CIC services keep doing this at this point? Like, what do they have to win by continuing to slog through this? But um, but thank you, CIC services. Let me go on the record and saying thank you um, for keeping this going. That was Melissa Wiley with Kaplan and Drysdale speaking to Jeff Leon. Now we turn to University of Minnesota law professor Kristen Hickman. She spoke to Bloomberg Tax's Asia Bogchi and got much deeper into what this whole idea of tax exceptionalism really means. The term definitionally, I think, refers to a general understanding of tax administration as being unique, particularly in the context of rulemaking. And in thinking of one side of the debate about what's at stake here, I remembered this brief that several law professors supplied to the U.S. Supreme Court when one of these cases, CIC services, was up at the Supreme Court. Uh, Those law professors wrote that if the IRS ended up losing this case, that would be really bad for the agency's efforts to go after abusive tax shelters. And I'm curious what you make of that argument. I am skeptical of that argument for a couple of reasons. The first is that Treasury, unlike most government agencies, has the congressional authorization to backdate its regulations to the date of a proposed regulation, for example, or to the date of a notice. Treasury has a lot of authority for being able to articulate its disagreement with particular transactions and then backdate regulations to the date of that initial articulation. Secondly, I've argued in other work that I think tax shelters in particular represent an opportunity for Treasury and the IRS to claim what under the Administrative Procedure Act is known as the good cause exception. The good cause exception allows an agency to put out legally binding pronouncements without going through notice and comment rulemaking procedures, but the Administrative Procedure Act requires an agency that asserts the good cause exception to explain at the time that it's invoking the exception, why notice and comment procedures are unnecessary or contrary to the public interest. So it requires a little bit more effort, but I don't think a lot more effort on the part of Treasury and the IRS. I think they could effectively claim the good cause exception. Last but not least, I will point out that when it, even though the notice and comment rulemaking process is often a very lengthy and drawn out process. It doesn't have to be as drawn out as it usually is. Where there is a will on the part of an agency to get out regulations quickly, there's typically a way. It's simply a matter of resource allocations. 
And so if Treasury wants to get out regulations quickly to shut down a particular transaction, it has the capacity to do so. The IRS, with these cases, uh, has expressed a concern about tax enforcement doing the job that the agency does around going after what it sees as uh, as tax shelters, as, as ways of getting around the tax laws. But in your scholarship around tax ex- exceptionalism, I think you're expressing uh, a different type of concern that you have about this relationship between administrative law and tax rules. And I just wonder if you can talk a bit about, in the context of these recent decisions, you know, what concerns you see going on there? And overall, how do you think courts are handling these questions about the relationship between tax rules and administrative law? So generally speaking, I want to acknowledge that Treasury and the IRS have a really hard job when it comes to implementing and administering the Internal Revenue Code. Congress puts a lot on them. They do perpetually have to grapple with a subset of taxpayers who want to try to find loopholes in the tax laws to exploit. Those are hard jobs to do, uh, to deal with. On the other hand, the reason why we have the administrative law requirements that we do comes from the recognition that Congress has given a tremendous amount of discretionary authority to executive branch officials who are not democratically elected. And as a consequence, in order to protect private parties from government excesses, we need to ensure that we have procedures in place and that agencies follow the procedures that will facilitate accountability and transparency in agency action. So to the extent that the courts are pushing Treasury and the IRS to comply with notice and comment rulemaking requirements, they're trying to ensure that Treasury and the IRS are engaging in the sort of reasoned decision-making that Congress envisions and the law requires. I think Another concern that I have is that as a matter of tax system legitimacy and um, sort of public perceptions regarding the legitimacy of the tax system, it's important, I think, for Treasury and IRS officials to be seen as adhering scrupulously to the laws that bind them. Treasury and the IRS rightly insist that taxpayers comply scrupulously with the tax laws. That's their job. They should do that. But it's important for the credibility of the tax system for Treasury and IRS officials, in turn, to comply scrupulously with the laws that Congress has imposed upon them with respect to the transparency and accountability uh, for their own actions. That was the University of Minnesota's Kristen Hickman speaking with Asia Bogchi. Before that, you heard Melissa Wiley speaking with Jeff Leon. And that's it for today's Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bluebergtax.com. 
That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Meg Shreve. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.